Today's program is part of a special series brought to you by St. Agnes Medical Center and Every Neighborhood Partnership with funding provided by ACES Aware. Together, we are working to raise awareness about the effects of adverse childhood experiences in hopes of building a healthier community and a brighter future for our children. Dr. B explains the importance of acknowledging our stressors of the past in order to thrive in the present. Plus, she shares practical tips for coping through challenging times and building greater resiliency so you and your family can enjoy healthier and more fulfilling life. Hi, you're listening to Delusional Optimism with Dr. B, where we explore human resiliency and learn how people thrive even after adversity. We break down the complexities of the human brain so concepts are simple and relatable. It's fun and empowering to understand how your earliest experiences influence your relationships today. What makes you tick? Dr. B is a speaker, trainer, and consultant who understands emotions and human development from the inside out. Let's dive into today's episode. Here's Dr. B. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about wiring for wellness, which also means the social determinants or influencers of health. If you're interested in furthering this conversation, please email me at contact at drbconnections.com. Or if you want to know more about me, go to my website at www.drbconnections.com. Now let's get started. Let's start with the problem, or another way of saying that is the question. Wiring for wellness. What does that mean? What are social determinants or social influencers of health? If you've heard of these concepts, they're real. This is true. Our brain wires in ways that impact the long-term trajectory of our health, our physical health, as well as our mental health. All right, so we know that infants begin life wiring their experiences and their relationships right from the beginning of life. We have such a beautiful opportunity to invest right here and right now with our little, littlest babies. I've always said this. We provide these student loan opportunities for college and university Yet, the brain doesn't really change that much during this period of life. We should consider offering young parents loans, quote-unquote, I call them family loans, so parents can choose to stay home with their babies or provide high-quality child care that supports child development, neurobiology, and really wellness for life. This is how we create social and economic benefits that have lasting change in our society. Now, I get it. People are like, why would you want to give young families loans to raise their children? If they're not ready to have children, then they shouldn't have children. However, one of the things that we know about society is that people have children when they're younger and they're less financially stable when they're younger in their lives. Then they're more financially stable later on in life. But what we need is we need that financial stability to start when they're raising their families and their young babies because that's when we get the most bang for our buck. So this is really the problem that we need to tackle as a society if we're going to build 
more resilient families and communities. This doesn't mean that we don't care about young people getting a college education. That prospect actually is so much more likely when we invest early rather than later because now we've wired the brain for education and being a more organized system that will benefit from a college education or vocational education or training later on in life much more easily. So remember remember we talked about this in another in a previous episode. The accumulated burdens of stress steal the body's ability to regulate appropriately. That means sort of manage our feelings. So suppose the regulating system is off, over or under responding to stress. Think about that. Have you ever overreacted to a situation and you've thought, oh my gosh, like where did that come from? Or underreacted to a situation where something really big is going on and you just kind of blow it off as if it's nothing? That's sort of the dysregulation of our emotional system, our our stress managing system. So what happens when this occurs, that overreacting or underreacting to stress can interfere with brain development, the chemical response system in the brain, because the brain, based on experiences, then releases certain types of chemicals in order to respond to the situation can also impact structural development of the brain. When we look at MRI images, then we can see that infants and young children who don't have adequate experiences or loving caregiving, that their brains are underdeveloped structurally. And there's a myriad of other things that happen that interfere with our organ systems. They don't develop properly. They don't run effectively. And this increases the risk of stress-related disease and cognitive impairments. We know that if young children don't get loving, healthy relationships, as well as appropriate experiences, that they can be cognitively impaired later in life. And those, those things last a lifetime. These consequences don't disappear. They persist well into adulthood and even across the lifespan. We know that poverty alone impacts health. When people don't have access to clean water, stable housing, safe living conditions, they're at risk of early death due to violence and other high-risk events. This puts health squarely in the hands of our social and economic environment, which we didn't really think before, but it's it's actually cool because that means that we can have a much more powerful impact on these types of situations. It's important to remember that loving relationships mediate risk. I'm going to say it again. Loving relationships mediate trauma, mediate risk, and build resilience and the ability to overcome adversity. I'm just going to say that because it's so important to realize how you can be an influencer in somebody else's life. We look at the brain through two lenses. There's probably a bunch of other lenses we can look at it through, but let's just keep it simple. The developmental lens, the ages and stages, 
and the experiential lens. The brain wires where the brain fires. So think think that through a little bit. Experience build neural pathways that create our perspective of life later on. All children, here's the developmental side, all children grow predictably and inevitably through the same stages. You don't learn to run before you learn to walk. You have to go through these ages and stages as a process. Babies typically walk between 9 and 17 months. That's just normal development or typical development. So there's all kinds of things developmentally that occur in life for all humans, unless there's our exceptional needs, obviously. But when we're talking about just typical ages and stages, people progress through life in the the same direction. So for healthy development, we want there to be a manageable amount of stress. If there are no stresses, then people don't get activated and motivated to learn new things. However, if a baby is born into a world where violence prevails, chaos rules, and fear dominates, the brain will wire for an irregular stress response. So let me say that again. If, if a baby is born into a world where violence prevails, chaos rules, and fear dominates, the brain will wire with an irregular stress response. We're also wiring that brain for potential higher levels of aggression, anxiety, and a trauma response. The expectation or perspective of the world is going to feel dangerous and risky and unwelcoming for a child who's born into this kind of a situation. Now, The beauty is, remember, resiliency mediates trauma. What builds resiliency? Loving relationships. So even if a person is born into a highly stressful environment, it's not the end-all, be-all that, you know, their life is, has no purpose or is going to be a disaster. It just creates a higher risk. Think about it. If a baby is born with protective buffers like loving relationships, healthy communication, where people scaffold for them difficult situations and allow the baby to stay calm during stressful or complicated circumstances, we're protecting them from their regulating system being overwhelmed. Individuals, we know this, individuals don't experience the world through the same lens. Even identical twins don't. But we can set the stage for consistency and predictability because consistency and predictability actually lead to stability. That's one of my favorite things to say because it's so concrete that if you know what to expect and it happens on a regular basis, then we're prepared for it. That's consistency, predictability equals stability. We once believed that genes were the primary explanation of adverse health conditions. We now know that it comes down to actually social influencers of health. So many health conditions are brought on by the social response to stress and potentially can take decades off a person's typical lifespan. 
cardiovascular disease, cancers, high blood pressure, diabetes, respiratory disorders. We see this playing out with COVID-19 where more vulnerable populations are experiencing higher incidence and more consequences from this disease. There's no biological reason for this. It really comes down to disparities in accessibility to ongoing healthcare for vulnerable populations. And that's not just now as we're dealing with COVID-19, but that is based on a lifetime of accessibility to quality healthcare and the over accessibility of stress due to things like systemic racism and inequality in our social environments and poverty. So the truth is that social influencers of health really come down to a social justice issue. So let's talk about now a personal experience that I had. I usually like to take the segment of the episode to talk about neuroscience or a personal experience. And this time I'm going to talk about this personal experience I had. I traveled to Nairobi, Kenya to learn more about extreme poverty and its impact on health. I also wanted to know know more about how community mediates poverty and potentially builds resilience in children born into really dire circumstances. Here's what I know intertwined with things that I've learned from my experience. First, I learned in Nairobi that I'm called a shosh. And I am, this means that I'm an old lady because the life expectancy in the slum that I visited was less than 57 years old. In the grand scheme of things, I feel fairly young in the U.S. You know, I was just about 50 when I went to Nairobi. And literally, this is at the end of my life in terms of the life expectancy in this area. All right, so let's start with why. Why is it that in California, my life expectancy is on average 81 years, almost a quarter of a century longer, 24 years longer than if I had been born and raised in Nairobi, Kenya, particularly in the slum called Haruma, where extreme poverty prevails. Let's break this down. So first, the significant determinants of health are social and economic. We can conquer health disparities when we shift our focus from treatment to prevention. The ACEs Aware Initiative in California is all about prevention and early intervention. This is how and why Dr. Nadine Burke Harris has embraced the lofty, lofty goal of reducing trauma in early childhood by 50% over one generation. Yes, I get it. That's not as easy as it sounds, but it's imperative to our modern day response to human needs. We have to treat disease, but we also need to prevent the causes of disease from behind the scenes, from the developmental lens and from the experiential lens in infancy and early childhood. I was in this developing country with medication that was accessible to me, but not accessible to its citizens. 
A highly treatable disease can become deadly or debilitating because of social and economic barriers like malaria, tuberculosis, staph infections, the list goes on and on. I actually had a bottle of hydrochloroquine to treat malaria, and I would only mention hydrochloroquine because, you know, of its attention through all of our COVID-19 experience. However, hydrochloroquine is used to prevent malaria and to treat malaria. So my doctors had advised me to take it as a preventative. I decided that I just would take a little bit of it. And if I didn't get malaria, then I didn't really need it. And if I did get malaria, then I would take the rest of it. Because remember, it was the prevention as well as the treatment. Ironically, malaria isn't a prevalent disease in the U.S., However, I had accessibility to this medication where most of the people in the community that I was visiting in Haruma, the slum outside of Nairobi, did not have access to this medication where malaria is much more prevalent. So I met a woman with a highly treatable but debilitating type of epilepsy. I was, I was invited on a home visit to her house with her husband and her baby, and she was eligible for a program that would reduce the cost of the medication she needed to 13 cents a day. However, she lived outside of Nairobi and had no transportation to pick up this medication, and so even though the medication was affordable at that point at 13 cents per day, the accessibility to that medication made it impossible for her to get. Now, in the process of time, they were able to work out some ways for her to get her medication, but literally she had a baby. She had been pregnant. She had a baby, and she was not able to care for her baby because of this debilitating epilepsy. So you can imagine how the interruption in that early relationship between mama and baby was impacted as well as the dad who was part of the family. They also were struggling with how to care for this mom who was literally unavailable to her child during the first really six months of the baby's life. So that's how that's what I want to say when I when I talk about a social influencer of health, that's a social influencer of health. We don't have the ability to get a medication to a person to treat their health condition and then that health condition actually has an impact on somebody else's health, the baby's health. Why am I telling you this story? about people and places across the globe. Because it's relevant to all of us. We have to understand how our society creates systems and how these systems either support our health or they actually create a deterioration of health for the population. Now, what we want to do is adjust these systems and develop social policies and practices that align with our values, that build resilience, and that build social, economic, 
equity that influence people's long-term health and lifespan. We're a country divided. There is no question about that. And I can't really ignore it because we've just finished probably the most complex election in history, certainly in my lifespan. However, I do believe that people are primarily good and most want what's best for others. We don't necessarily agree about how to do that, but we usually agree that we could do better. We have a formula that with investment in prevention, will save billions of dollars in treatment down the road. And that's just a math problem, folks. That's That equals an economic boost ultimately for everyone. If you invest in something at the front end, and then you don't have to pay the super high price of the consequences of healthcare down the road, then we all benefit by saving money, and that creates an economic boost across the population. And that's super cool. So we're going to pay for healthcare for people, period. Like, that's just what we do. So why don't we take care of people from the front end of life rather than waiting until the back end? So resilience means, and I say this over and over again, but I'm going to keep saying it, means to overcome adversity and hopefully thrive. No one does this alone. We are not born resilient. Resilience is a consequence of care. And we live with the idea of, maybe you've heard this, pulling oneself up by the bootstraps or climbing the mountain to success alone. However, that's not accurate or realistic. Whether people remember or give credit to the people who supported them there were people there because babies can't pull themselves up by the bootstraps. Infants and young children absolutely need attuned, attached, and loving caregivers. This is what grows a healthy and efficient brain that guides us through our lives. Infants and young children can't survive on their own. We're born with complete vulnerability and we're loved to our invincibility. I love that saying. It's Emmy Werner's kind of, it's the title of her book about resiliency, Vulnerable but Invincible. So I like to use her words because she really is the mother of resiliency. If you're healthy and resilient, you have somebody to thank. And probably you have lots of people to thank for that. What we do know is the brain is in service of survival. So we seek out relationships and experience that help us grow regardless of our birth circumstances. We find loving people who can provide enough support and guidance to put us on a path. But we pretty much let this happen by chance. We have the knowledge and power to invest in building protective and resilience-focused communities in a formal way. You might ask how, and I'll explain it. But we, we know how to do this now. It's not like we don't have any books on parenting or we don't have any books on building healthy, thriving communities. We do have research. We need to access it and use it. We sometimes get lost here, though, in believing that if we invest, 
We have to give up something that will make our lives less fulfilling. I don't know why I always end up here, but I have another funny little tune in my head. (laughs) And I'm thinking of the song Magic Penny. And it goes like this. Love is like a magic penny. Hold it tight and you won't have any. Lend it, spend it, you'll have so many. They'll roll all over the floor. Love is something if you give it away, give it away, give it away. Love is something if you give it away, you'll end up having more. Okay, that's my hokey little song of the day. However, it actually makes a lot of sense that when we give something away at the beginning of life and we spend a little bit on it, we end up having more. That's that benefiting from our investment and Love works that way too. When you when you give people love unconditionally, we often end up with more loving feelings coming back our way. But it also happens in a lot of arenas in our lives. So we've got this. We're innovative. We're intelligent. We know that taking care of each other is good for all of us. We have the tools and the roadmap to build protective buffers into our community that support individuals' healthy growth and development. This leads to sustainable resilience with healthier, happier, and more equitable communities and outcomes. And I feel like that's what we're going for. I feel like we're in a part, we're in a a stage in our history where we really are looking for more meaningful lives. And that means that we invest in human capital more than financial capital. And people don't have to give anything up to do this. We work at this together. We're social beings. We need each other. Nobody wants to live on the planet alone. That's a terrifying concept. We want to live together in social connection with other humans and other people and dogs. Humans are not driven exclusively by monetary gain, but we are driven highly by social connections purposefulness, and fun fact, green space. You know, you ask people what they love about the world, and a lot of times they'll say being outdoors, being in green space. You'd be amazed at how much green space contributes and safe space outside contributes to people's resiliency. A little bit of these things go a very, very long way to support our mental health, and our physical health. We literally depend on these kinds of investments. And that's being revealed to us in a way that we cannot ignore through the health crisis that we're facing right now with COVID-19. All right, so that's a lot of information about the social influencers of health and social influencers or even determinants of health on not only our physical health, but also on our mental health. So let's talk about really quickly the last section, our actionable takeaways. First, we need to become aware that health is a product of our environment over our biology. I'm not saying that biology doesn't play into it, but environment plays into it much more. And building resilience is a choice. It's not a natural process. You're not born resilient. It requires care, planning, and support 
for caregivers and all systems that engage children and families in the community. So this is an investment and a process and a plan that we do together as a community. It's really important, another takeaway is to embrace your own resilience. Because resilience is built and wired into us early, early in life, often pre-verbally, we don't necessarily have a good historical recollection of our own resiliency, but it's important to go back and look at where your resilience came from and identify those people who provided protective care for you and appreciate those people and look at the ways that you provide protective care and resilience building buffers for other people and young children in your lives. Recognize your power to be a social determinant of health for others. Consider ways in which you can network with others to build protective buffers in your neighborhood, your community, your family, or just for yourself. You know, we all need support at different times in our lives. And so we do this in relationship with each other, not in isolation. Remember that people with trauma sometimes over-respond to stress because they had to self-protect. And that's okay. Be kind to yourself, be kind to others in this situation, and work on wellness strategies to rewire for healing. The brain has a high level of plasticity. So that means there is an ability to heal and change the brain. Not everything is healable. However, we do have the ability to rewire our brain by by doing personal work. And so look into that. Breathe deeply. It sounds so corny and I say it so often, but it helps in finding our calm. Inhale deeply through your nose, hold it, and then release through your mouth. Do this several times because this is is the way, one way, that we can disperse our trauma and our anxiety and our stress so that we can be calm enough to then make rational cognitive decisions based on our best thinking rather than our reactive thinking. Please remember to be kind and loving to yourself and to be kind and caring to others because it really is a matter of life and death. I know we don't think about it that way, but it is. So with that, I say I love you and now go out and leave a life print. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I appreciate the opportunity to connect with you. If you're interested in booking a training, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me at my website, Dr. B Connections. There's a big button that says, book a training with Dr. B. It's that easy. If this show has been beneficial for you, please share it with your friends and family. Spreading the word about the show helps us grow our audience and helps continue to change the world together. Again, thanks so much for listening to Delusional Optimism. Now, go leave a life print. Thank you for listening to this special episode of Delusional Optimism brought to you by St. Agnes Medical Center and Every Neighborhood Partnership. We hope you're encouraged by Dr. B's message and find her tips helpful for managing life stressors and building a more resilient self. For more episodes in this special series, please visit St. Agnes Medical Center's website at www.samc.com.
This episode is produced and published by the editing team at Truthwork Media. Truthwork Media is a full-fledged podcasting and social media agency located in South Bend, Indiana, with clients all around the world. For more information, visit them at truthworkmedia.com. These materials and all discussions of these materials are for educational purposes only and do not constitute medical or mental health advice. The presenter is not a licensed mental health or medical service provider. If you need medical or mental health care or advice, you should contact your doctor or therapist, or you can contact your insurance company for a referral. This show and all of its contents are copyright 2020 Dr. B. Leave a Life Print. Reproduction or use requires written consent of Dr. Kristen Beasley.